0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm Travis Pauly, and here we have one goal. Learn to love like Jesus. Hope you enjoy the rest of this conversation.
1: Hey Travis, I'm excited to continue this conversation
0: Yeah, part two of our discussion about men and women's roles and uh, the creation account I think we want to get started by reading the question again Yeah,
1: let let me actually, before you do that, let me encourage people If you didn't listen to last episode, go back and listen to part one of this conversation Because it'll sort of set the stage for what we're talking about And even that will have the question So I'm not going to have you reread the first question But but our, our listener actually she asked this question specifically about, you know, why does Paul say in Romans 5 that sin came into the world through Adam if Eve was actually the first one to eat the fruit? Why why blame Adam if if they both did that and Eve specifically went first? So we talked a lot about that, but then she actually asked four sort of follow-up questions. That's so if right. you don't mind, I'll have you read those four follow-up questions, some of which we've already talked about, but I think in this episode we'll, we'll kind of walk through those a little bit more.
0: Yes, yeah, so she has some sub-questions. She says, these are the questions I'm asking myself that is connected to the question above that we read last week. Number one, why does it seem like the burden of the sin was placed on Adam, even though both sinned? Number two, does this send a message that women are more vulnerable to sin or spiritually weak and need men to guide them into spiritual maturity? Number three, is a consequence of the fall men lording their authority over women wasn't the original plan for both men and women to subdue the earth together with shared responsibility and number 4 in the marriage relationship is responsibility not shared or do men have a greater responsibility when it comes to being spiritual
1: mm. such good questions very thoughtful such good question yeah um, let me just kind of walk through some of those real quick, and then we'll we'll kind of talk talk through them, maybe answer them, and then flesh them out. That might be the best way to do it. So number one, she asked, why does it seem like the burden of the sin was placed on Adam, even though both sinned? And I think we yeah. pr- pretty adequately discussed that last time. That that Adam was the firstborn, and I think that that's primarily why Adam was given that responsibility. He was the firstborn, not just of Adam and Eve, but the firstborn of of the creation the firstborn mm-hmm. and then at then jesus becomes the new firstborn of creation he becomes right. the one who is the new adam the one to rule and reign as the true adam as the one who will bring us back to the glory and honor and dominion that we had in the beginning so so adam was the firstborn of this human family and so it's his responsibility to lead the family to protect the family to teach the family what to do and what not to do and he just sits there and he doesn't, he doesn't fulfill the role for which he was created. He doesn't protect God's creation. In fact, he doesn't create the pinnacle of God's creation. I'd say I always like to say God saves the best for last. And he made Eve last of all the things that he created. God made the woman last. So sort of the sort of the, the climax of the whole thing. And Adam failed in his responsibility to protect the garden from the invasion of the serpent and to protect his wife from the invasion of the serpent's lies and so it was his responsibility and he failed in that and even even before maybe even maybe before she put the 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 fruit to her lips he had failed he had sinned he had not done what he was called to do and then so the second question is does this send a message that women are more vulnerable to sin or spiritually weak and need men to guide them into spiritual maturity it's again definitely something that people have said an assumption yeah, it, it is yeah. an assumption that people have made i don't think that that is what the text is meant to teach us i don't think that that's what either the creation account teaches or what we'll read in a moment what paul says to timothy i don't think that that's what it's supposed to to teach us as well and so no my answer to that is no it doesn't send a message that women are more vulnerable or spiritually weak and need men to guide them into spiritual maturity However, with the caveat that I do think that the role and responsibility of spiritual teaching and guidance is given to men, not just for women, but for churches and for families and for, for everyone, that, that God has specifically put men into these roles of responsibility. And when we begin to think of them as privilege, when we begin to think of them as power, when we begin to think of them as our right to dominate, that's when we are not acting Christian. We are not thinking like Christ. We're not thinking with a cruciform mindset. And that mindset, has no place in the church. Mm-hmm. That mindset has no place amongst those who call themselves followers of Jesus. So anyone who wants to abuse that teaching role or leadership role as a way to dominate and control and abuse and oppress anyone, men, women, children, whatever, that is not in keeping with the gospel. So that, that's the caveat there. Uh, the third one is, is a consequence of the fall, men lording their authority over women. Yes and no. Does it give them authority to lord authority over women? Absolutely not. But the the reason why we have tension between men and women, the reason why men and women and humans in general kill each other and rape each other and hurt each other and, and do all kinds of horrible, horrible, horrible things to each other is because of the fall. Not because God made it that way, but because we chose that. It's a, I like the way she words it. Is it a consequence of the fall? Yes, it's a consequence of the fall. It's not a consequence of God's discipline of them. It's a consequence of, of what we've done to ourselves. Anytime there's anyone lording anything over another person, that's a consequence of the fall. Anytime there are two people that have opposite agendas and they're fighting with each other and there's any kind of Anything but harmony and unity and love and peace, that's a consequence of the fall. Anywhere you can look and see people at odds with each other, that's a consequence of the fall. Um, And so she asks on that one, was not the original plan for both men and women to subdue the earth together with shared responsibility? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that there wouldn't have been a special role for the firstborn. Again, any more than... A key and a lock. The, the key has a different role and responsibility than the lock, mm-hmm. but they're supposed to work together. The key is not supposed to dominate the lock. It's not supposed to lord it over the lock. It's not supposed to say, "I'm better than you, and you're you're trash, and you're nothing, and you you wouldn't exist if it wasn't for me." That should not be the key's attitude. There's supposed to be harmony there, and the har- the, the disharmony is the consequence.
0: Both of some of the things you said in both of these uh, two questions uh, that we've just gone over made me think about we keep talking about the human motivation of power and i think the antidote that scripture constantly provides for your motivation being power and authority and lording over your authority over others is responsibility Mm. it is i think about some of the occasions where you see men like gideon or a woman esther when they're called up to do something they don't want to Mm. they're not Itching for the opportunity to okay. see their name in lights. They're not itching for the opportunity for authority. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think about, you know, Mordecai urging Esther on, saying, you know, what you've been called for such a time as this and yeah. Gideon constantly needing reminders from God that yeah. no, I, I've chosen you for this yeah. and you need to do it. Yeah. That's not people hungry for power and lording their authority over Absolutely. people. That's people fact, who have a responsibility to yes. the role that God has given them.
1: Well, and, and to take it a step further, and again, that, that's 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 exactly right. And to take it a step further and, and to make it into a cruciform hermeneutic, mm-hmm. to read it through the lens of the cross, is to say that the responsibility of the man is to die. Mm-hmm. That's our responsibility. So Paul fleshes all of this out in Ephesians 5. He says men are supposed to love their wives like jesus like christ loved the church how by lording it over her by by oppressing the church by pressing his thumb on them and 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 saying i'm in charge and you're nothing and i'm everything men who do that are not followers of jesus that is not the way jesus leads jesus leads like you said not by seeking power not by desiring it for selfish motivation he leads by dying. He leads by going to the cross. And Paul says this is the way men are to love their wives by giving them their lives up for her. Yeah. And so that's the way, if we want to talk about elders or ministers or, or husbands or dads or whatever, we, we so often talk about women's roles in the church. Let's talk about men's roles in the church. Men's role in the church is to die is to be crucified for the sake of the people that we love. That's the role of every Christian, is to take up our cross and follow Jesus, to live out the cross, self-sacrifice in a humble, selfless way.
0: Because what do they say about Jesus? He considered equality with God, not even something to be grasped. Exactly, Philippians 2. Which speaks to... He's not even looking at it. It's not even in his perspective that it's something to be great because he's not thinking that way. Yes. I think that's great.
1: Well, and that's exactly right. Paul says in Philippians 2, this is what it looks like to have the mind of Christ. What does it look like? It looks like considering others to be more significant than yourself. That's dying. So if you want to talk about Christian, the Christian view of gender roles in marriage or gender roles in the church, it's that men should see their wives as being different obviously that up until very recently that would not (laughs) not have had to be said but different of course but see their wives as being more significant than themselves that's what jesus did jesus was the king of kings the lord of lords the pre-existent one the second person of the deity of the godhead and he he got down on his knees and washed the dirty smelly stinky feet of men who would use those feet to run away from him and betray him and he washed their feet anyway and then he allowed himself to be whipped and spit on and mistreated and nailed to a cross because he considered them more significant than himself and that's our salvation and our calling, and so that's how men are supposed to live out their headship. Mm. So all these men that want to talk about, well, I'm the head of my household. Okay, so get your cross ready, buddy, because that's the way you live out Christian headship: is you die. So if you're not washing your wife's feet, if you're not if you're not treating her the way Jesus treated his disciples, then you you have no business using the Bible, using the New Testament to justify your headship. So yes, I believe in male headship, but I believe in male headship the way Jesus lived out male headship. There's nothing that tells men, make your wives submit to you. Now we could talk about women and how Paul tells women, submit to your husbands, love them like the church loves Jesus, submit to them the way the church submits to Jesus. But that's not to me that part of it's not written to me, that's written to my wife. Mm -hmm. And I have absolutely nothing to say or do about whether or not she submits to me. What I have something to say about is whether or not I love her the way Jesus loves me. The way Jesus washes my feet, the way Jesus dies for me, that's the way we're supposed to live out marriage in a Christian household. Yes, there's different roles. Yes, there's, there's, there's leadership. Yes, there's responsibility. Yes, there's teaching. Yes, there's all of these things. Yes, but in a uniquely Christian way, and the uniquely Christian way is considering others more significant than yourselves, laying down your life for other people. So the fourth question is, in the marriage relationship, is responsibility not shared? Yes, it's absolutely shared. Do men have a greater responsibility when it comes to being spiritual? No. Men don't have a greater responsibility to be spiritual. We're all supposed to walk by the Spirit. And this is what it looks like to walk by the Spirit, is to be filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That selflessness, that being filled by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit and denying the flesh, the power struggle, the wanting to be in charge, the wanting to lord it over, denying that fleshly nature that we have, and walking by the Spirit of God, that is what begins to reestablish the harmony in marriage, in business, at work, on the sports team, with your neighbors. That's what begins to reestablish harmony, even right now in the present age, to whatever degree we can be sanctified before our bodies are redeemed, while we're still in the flesh, we, we are already beginning to see the Spirit's fruit. And don't we see that when mm-hmm. when people really are followers of Jesus, their marriage is better. I don't I, I've seen abusive men, I've seen overpowering men, but I've never seen a true follower of Jesus be abusive or, or overpowering. And and when the when men do fall into that, they need to be told to repent. This is not the way of Jesus, nor is it the way of Jesus. I guess for a woman, I've never personally seen this, but I suppose it could happen for a woman to say, Well, I'm going to be in charge and it's time for the tables to be turned and, and it's time for me to be in charge for a while. All of those things are fleshly. Any kind of enmity and animosity and tension and conflict and power struggle, all of that is of the flesh and not of the spirit. Even if that means, even if that means that I have to be in a marriage. I'm not I, I shouldn't even use my own my own family as an example because it's not that way but if I was married to a woman who was not walking by the spirit who was walking by the flesh who wanted to dominate me or however your translation worded that in Genesis 3 if if that was the if there was a power struggle in my house I would still have to love her the way Jesus loves me I would still there's still nothing even if even if my spouse my wife is being fleshly there's nothing that gives me the authority or the justification for us acting fleshly in return right we're all supposed to live as spirit-filled people which means as far as it depends on me mm-hmm. i will live in harmony and at peace with everybody including the people in my family yeah that's good we want to take a break real quick let's do it okay I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com audible. That's radicallychristian.com audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com audible. Now back to the Bible study. Okay, so let's let's get into some of the New Testament. We've really focused a lot on on the creation account and that's important because that is the foundation that the apostles and Jesus continually point back to. Right. But I think even before we get to there, there is an idea that's sort of a modern idea within Christianity. And that says that and it's kind of alluded to in the question that was asked, is is the idea of Differing gender roles of having a man in charge and a woman being submissive is that Is that part of the fall and if it is then shouldn't that be taken away? with the new covenant that if we're saying now that Jesus is reigning He's trying to put things back the way they they should be the way they were in the creation and if he's trying to put things back the way that they were, then surely nobody should be in charge of anybody else. There's a lot of modern assumptions in that, and we've talked about a lot of that. Um, one of the, the texts that's often used to support that is Galatians 3. So Galatians 3, 23 through 29, Paul's writing to the church, the churches in Galatia and explaining to them that. If you're in Jesus, then you are an heir of Abraham. You are part of the the Abrahamic family, Uh, whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile. He says in verse 23, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, (laughs) which is interesting when we talk about gender, but you are all sons of God, meaning you're all heirs of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, some people would read this and say, well, see, That proves that there are no ethnic distinctions anymore. There are no socioeconomic distinctions anymore. There are no gender distinctions anymore. Well, okay, we we have to pay attention to what Paul's overarching argument is. And his argument is about everybody, rich, poor, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, male, female, are all heirs. You're all sons, how he puts it. You're all sons of God. You're all sons of Abraham. You are all full-fledged heirs of the promises that God made to Abraham. You get to inherit everything that God promised to Abraham. Even if you're even if you're a slave. You still are a full-fledged heir. Even if you're a woman, you're a full-fledged heir. Even if you're a Gentile, you're a full-fledged heir. Not because you've been circumcised, not because you've kept kosher, not because you kept the law of Moses, but because you put your faith in Jesus the Christ. Because you are a follower of Jesus, when you were baptized into him, you became part of that family. What he's really talking about is not the elimination of distinctions— He's talking about the elimination of divisions, the elimination of of lording it over, the elimination of, of thinking that you're better than someone else. He's talking about unity. You are all one in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean that Paul didn't recognize that he was Jewish. He knew he was Jewish. He was fine with being Jewish. He often celebrated Jewish customs and did things that were very Jewish because he was Jewish. He also recognized that other people were Gentiles. And he would say, when I'm working with and teaching people that aren't under the law, I live as one not under the law. When I'm working with people that are under the law, I live as one under the law. He said, so he does recognize ethnic distinctions. He also recognizes gender distinctions. He he specifically gives rules and right. responsibilities and roles To different genders. So this, which probably was Paul's first letter, by the way, it doesn't say there are no more gender distinctions any more than it says there are no ethnic distinctions. Paul continued to recognize there are men, there are women, there are Jews, there are Gentiles, there are slaves, and there are free people. Now, what does it look like for for the, the new covenant, for the Spirit of God, for the rule and the reign of Jesus to come in and set things right, in this age and in the age to come? Well, it looks like what he'll say in Galatians 5, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's going to change every human relationship. Ephesians 5 and 6, Colossians 3, these all describe how does this change family interactions. And it doesn't mean there are no dads and there are no children. There are no moms. There are no wives. It doesn't, that's, I mean, to me, that's a silly argument to say that Galatians three, we're just going to pull that completely out of context and act like there are no gender distinctions anymore. There are gender distinctions, but, but it, it changes in that I treat every sister as a full-fledged of the promises that God made to Abraham that she just like me is going to inherit the world to come That is huge. I treat her as a fellow royal heir of the promises that God made to Abraham, like an image bearer of God. And that was radical in the first century. You're telling me that if I'm a Gentile man or I'm a Jewish man or I'm a a Gentile woman or I'm a Jewish woman, I'm supposed to treat people of a different gender or a different ethnicity as if they, too, are full-fledged heirs of the kingdom of God? yes and that would dramatically change so much and again like we've been talking about it would eliminate so much of the struggle not because there are no gender distinctions but because there's no animosity because there's no there's no supremacy there's no oppression there's no there's no conflict there's no resentment there's no bitterness we've put these things away and we're walking in love and joy and peace and patience and the rest so again I hope that that begins to answer some of those questions that have been asked, but specifically the passage that we, we have to get to before we wrap all of this up is first Timothy two verses eight through 14. Um, and that that's the one where Paul really draws from everything we've been talking about and then gives some specific instructions for men and specific instructions for women. So you want to read that for us, Travis, first Timothy two, eight through 14.
0: In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. And I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them, listen quiet, let, let them listen quietly, for God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and the sin was the result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty.
1: And I think we actually did an episode yes, on did. the saved through childbearing piece of that, so we won't get into that. But... But again, I mean, listen to those words that you just read. I mean, the, the, the ideas of everything we've been talking about, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling, mm-hmm. that women should draw attention to themselves, that they should clothe themselves with respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire. By the way, when Paul talks about dressing modestly, it's not about wearing enough clothes. It's about not wearing fancy clothes, which that's an interesting concept, too. But again, for both men and women, the problem of the fall could be mitigated if we would walk by the Spirit. The problem of the fall could be mitigated if we would lift holy hands without anger or quarreling, if we wouldn't show off with our gold and our hair and our fancy clothes. All of this adds to that tension the conflict the bitterness the jealousy the greed the covetousness these are the problems the flesh is the problem the problem isn't that there are different roles for men and women that's not the problem the problem is that i'm sometimes a jerk that's the problem the problem is me the problem is my flesh and so i have to crucify the flesh with its desires if i'm going to lead my family well but again we can't We can't skirt around this issue that that Paul wrote Galatians first and said there's no male and female There's no Jew and Gentile. He wrote that first and then later he wrote first Timothy 2, right? And so Paul still believes that there are different roles for men and women and and he explains This is why because of the creation. He doesn't say because of the fall Initially, we can talk about that second part of the statement. He says here's why Because Adam was formed first and then Eve. And that's why he doesn't want the woman to take on the teaching role is because Adam was formed first. If you keep reading all of 1 Timothy, the thing he's dealing with in 1 Timothy, much of it is about false teachers. And specifically, he mentions that in Ephesus, there were false teachers who had corrupted some of the women, that they had already led some of the women astray. So again, I have no problem with saying that there was a specific issue that Paul was addressing in Ephesus. But he does say this is constant in all of the churches. Verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. She is to remain quiet. That's a universal teaching that Paul teaches. 1 Corinthians 14 is another example of where Paul teaches that. And he says, here's why. Because Adam was formed first and then Eve. And it wasn't Adam who was deceived, but the woman who was deceived and became a transgressor. I don't think he's saying women are more susceptible to deception than men are. That the, the false teachers who are leading women astray, presumably are men. Right. <laughs> so he's not saying women are the problem. And if we just put men in charge, that would make everything better. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying that it's your responsibility men to lift your holy hands without anger or quarreling. It's your responsibility, men, to teach. It's your responsibility, men, to protect women from being deceived. Does that mean that one is more capable than the other? No, of course not. I'm not any more capable of protecting my family from deception than my wife is. It's not about capability. It's not about ability. It's not about any of those things. It's about the word you used earlier, responsibility. Yes. That I'm responsible for protecting my family. My wife is responsible for things I'm incapable of doing, childbearing being one of those it's things. A big one. And so I can't bear children. I cannot be a mother, but I can teach and lead and protect my family from being deceived. I can step into that gap, again, taking up my cross, not lording it over, not not dominating, not being a, a tyrant, that has no place, again, anger or quarreling, mm-hmm. that has no place in the kingdom of God, that has no place in the heart or the life or the words or the behavior of a follower of Jesus. We are supposed to lead and teach the way Adam should have led and taught because we, we are following in the footsteps of our, our firstborn. <laughs> we are the firstborn in the sense that we are sons of Adam And, and so we are supposed to protect our family from the serpent. Paul was calling Timothy to do that. Timothy was called to appoint others, to teach others, to, to teach and to lead and protect the church. And so again, it's not about ability. It's not about who's more susceptible, weaker, stronger. None of that. It's about, it's about calling. It's about Mm -hmm. responsibility. And again, so much of this is part of our, our modern way of thinking. We don't we don't like hierarchy, we don't like rules, we don't like responsibilities. We, we like to think that we're all just free spirits. So we can kind of go and do whatever we want to do. But I don't know, I, I kind of like the idea that we're invited into a story that's bigger than ourselves, that we have responsibility that goes beyond just what do I want to do, how do I want to live? I have responsibility, if I'm a man, have certain responsibilities. If I'm a woman, I have certain responsibilities. Again, in our modern world, like marriage and family and all of these things, we've taken to believe that, oh, you can have it or not have it, or take it or leave it, or just do whatever you want to, follow your heart, live your own life, you do you. You know, all of these things are very modern ways of thinking. These people understood, I'm a part of families, I'm a part of community, I'm a part of the church, and I have responsibility because i'm part of a story that's bigger than myself
0: well i like that we got to this passage in first timothy because i do think like you said this is the this is one of the toughest parts of this discussion is when we get to passages like this and i know i've read this very perplexed in the past and read it through the eyes of a a modern person sure and I, i was just thinking about this that again to go back to something that came up in the last last week's conversation what are we reading scripture for are we reading scripture because it's just stories. Are we reading scripture just because we, you know, we, we're we're trying to buy our ticket to heaven? Are mm-hmm. we, or are we reading it for instruction? Yeah. And then for instructions like this that are hard, especially with modern eyes, reading them with modern eyes, I think there's two ways to read it. You can read it as a restriction, or you can read it as an opportunity.
1: Yeah.
0: As a man or a woman. Yeah. And the opportunity lies in the instruction yes. that there is difference. Yeah but that there's opportunity in that difference mm-hmm. for you to find your calling. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. To, to, again, as we keep saying, learn to love like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, we, we spend so much time. How could we read 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 14 and focus on what a woman's not supposed to do rather than, how about, how about we focus a little bit on holy hands without anger or quarreling? Mm-hmm. Like that. How about we focus on being modest and not wearing fancy clothes? Like how... Isn't it interesting, like even just from a a standpoint of how do we do church? We've put a lot of emphasis on, well, women aren't allowed to do such and such. Well, wait a second. Let's talk about how we dress. Yeah. Let's talk about whether or not we should wear fancy, our nicest clothes. We have whole arguments built around, well, if you met the president of the United States, you'd wear the nicest thing that you had at your disposal. (laughs) Well, wait a second. Is that how we're told to go to worship? Because according to 1 Timothy 2, it's not. According to 1 Timothy 2, we're supposed to be humble and not draw attention to ourselves, not wear fancy clothes, not wear jewelry, not wear braided hair. And and again, if we would focus on this, humility, doing away with anger, doing away with quarreling, leading from a a submissive point of view, leading from a self-sacrificing point of view, from a selfless point of view, all of these things, if we would take on this, then it would change the dynamics of everything. And we could begin to experience the age to come even right now in the present and long for and anticipate the day when there won't be any animosity and there won't be any conflict. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Polly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day. in the age to come, and that's what we'll talk about next time.